You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Hello, welcome to another episode of Surgeons of Horror. I am your host, as always, I'm lead surgeon Saul Muerte, about to dissect and discuss a film that is celebrating 40 years since its anniversary, uh, since its anniversary, since it was released, um, and uh, which was back in October the 9th, 1981. Those that are familiar with these discussions that we have, um, it's not just myself sitting here chirping away, I always have an offsider to help me divulge and dissect the film in question and I'd like to introduce my co-host for this episode other than Oscar Jack. Welcome aboard Oscar. Thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here to slice up slice up another film uh, at appropriate timing. Appropriate timing yeah like so I, I'm realizing like uh, obviously listeners will come to this after the fact but we are officially recording this on October the 9th so on the anniversary itself which feels kind of good. It feels kind of good to have that kind of rare treat to be energy. Recording. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Exactly. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm digging it. Appropriate conversation it. topics. Mm. So, uh, before we get into, uh, so those that are familiar with our discussions, we do tend to kind of go through the plot narrative as our way of dissecting through the film itself. But I kind of like to have a few conversational pieces just before we dive into it. Um, and one of those questions is always um, when I'm talking to my offsiders, when did you become aware of this film and when did you first watch it? And so I pose those questions to you. I did not know this movie even existed okay, uh, yeah. prior to, prior to uh, it coming up for, for being tabled for discussion. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I was completely ignorant. So I, I watched it uh, a, a week ago. Um, yes. And yeah, so, so it's very fresh for me. It's very, um, I, there, I had no context around it really. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, so I, I didn't know it perif- even peripherally kind of, uh, uh, around the edges. So it was, which is, which is always quite nice with a movie that you kind of later find out kind of has a bit of a, a place of cult horror. Yeah. You know, like that it, 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 it does have a space on the shelf. <laughs> uh, for people who kind of deeply love uh, uh, kind of all horror uh, corners of the of the genre, uh, but yeah, it, it was a yeah an absolute freshie for me. Uh, how about yourself? Yeah, do you know what? It's, it's one of those weird ones because 1981 was probably the year of slasher, right? There's, and we've discussed mm. a few of them in our podcast. A lot of them came out in 1981, and this was in the wake of Friday the 13th that resurrected. The slasher genre existed, but it became big following Friday the 13th. And 1981 even had the uh, the first actual sequel for the Friday the 13th franchise as well. Amongst a load of stuff, and the reason I'm talking about Friday the 13th is because for me, and I'm maybe tipping my hat a little bit, but for me, the reason this film is probably iconic um, has a cult following is because of Tom Savini's role in this film. He's there for the special effects, um, and uh, this was just at the point where he was uh, building his uh, career. Really, he'd already done like, as we said, Friday the Thirteenth. He'd worked a couple of times already with George A. Romero, uh, with uh, Martin, uh, and I want to say also. Uh, um, 
Dawn of the Dead, um, he worked with on that one as well. And um, so there's a couple of things there too. And that he also worked on Maniac uh, in 1980, which also had a bit of a cult following. And when off, he was actually offered the role of doing Friday the 13th Part 2, famously knocked it back because he was like, how can you make a sequel? Like, you know, you're saying Jason's running around, but Jason's dead. You know, how does that work? You know, that doesn't work as a thing. Um, and he openly admits that, like, you know, he's like, yeah, who knew? And he would come back again for Friday the 13th Part 4 in order to do the effects again for that. So he, he, uh, it was no, uh, it wasn't like he was averse to kind of working on the franchise. So he knocked it back and then he worked on The Burning, uh, which we have talked about on the podcast, myself and Miles Davies talked about the one. So if you haven't heard of that one, do go check that one out and have a listen to our thoughts on The Burning 2. And it's a pretty, it's a pretty, it's pretty much a, it's a Friday the 13th ripoff, essentially, uh, but it's very good. Uh, and I really, I enjoyed that one. So following that, the, again, in 1981, we get The Prowler, um, as I said, which was released in October time. So I, uh, so where was I going with that? So the, to answer your question, uh, I think it, I was always aware of this film, but it was one of those, uh, there was a lot of slashes, as I said, that came out at that time, but it was one of those rare ones that I missed. I hadn't seen it. I remember seeing it on the uh, the video store shelves. Uh, so I'm talking about uh, VHS uh, rental days um, with the old blockbuster video stuff. I do remember seeing it, and I think also a lot, this is quite common because a lot of people have confused it with another 1981 film that came out, My Bloody Valentine, which and the similarities is because of the both have the kind of the mask. mask thing, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. So there is a bit of confusion. A pitchfork. And a bit, uh, yeah, yeah. A big axe. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so there is a bit of like a confusion, like a lot of people mis mistake the two. And I think that's why I thought I'd seen it. Um, but obviously realizing like now that we're coming to talk through these retrospectives and having a chat through these, films of yesteryear we did my bloody valentine earlier in the year and and when i was watching that i i really remember my bloody valentine and i was kind of watching that going oh yeah, yeah that's cool and i was like oh, hold on then so the prowler what i and that was where it dawned on me that maybe i hadn't seen it so i watched it for the first time maybe a couple of weeks ago and um i'm going to reserve my my judgment on what i actually thought of it but i do i do i as i said really tip my hat a little bit by saying i think the strengths clearly lie in the special effects that are on show uh, throughout the film. Um, did you have a similar rea reaction to it there? Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah very, very much so. And, and like, uh, recently I've been kind of making my way through uh, John Carpenter's oeuvre. Uh, uh, so only semi kind of very recently I've rewatched Halloween and I plan to do so at the end of the month. Yeah. Um, but very much, yeah, like watching this, and, and I think, I think, uh, and it will come into kind of towards the end when we kind of talk about whether we recommend it or not. I won't kind of say yeah. whether I do or don't here, but the in terms of the context, I think it, it is impossible. I, I, I think it does it a disservice, yeah, uh, to take it out of the context of that like 1981 it's the year that we get the first halloween sequel it's you know it's it's a, a year a year after friday the 13th like it's directly yeah. in the wake of like the the earth shattering 
Halloween that kind of starts the wave and then Friday the 13th that kind of crystallizes what yeah. the genre ends up becoming. Um, and yeah. so, that's right. I mean, like Friday the 13th is almost like that first ripple you get off, off the back of Halloween. Yeah. And then everyone, uh, and it, it's, the, it's, it's the formation of the, of the rules that center around uh, what makes a genre, a uh, slasher slash genre, right? So it's, mm. and everything else you can see ripple out from that. And there's evidence of that throughout the 80s. I mean, we've been doing, a, on Surgeons of Horror, we've been doing like um, uh, a vote for your best uh, horror film from, from that particular year throughout the 80s. And we've planned to try and get through all of those throughout uh, throughout this year so that we can round that up and, and basically see if we can find what was the best film of the 1980s because it was such a golden era for that kind of stuff. I, I interrupted you though. You, you were kind of talking about um, the, 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 the collective that uh, yeah. this, this film falls into. Well, there's, there's so many different um, elements, and I think when you kind of boil down the slasher, I think it, it, it's it's such a kind of uh, a kind of misconstrued genre. It's it's one that's been so easily um, kind of uh, pushed aside. And when you look at the bulk of the slashes, particularly from the '80s, maybe that is a justified position yeah. uh, because there's just so much crap in it. But the good stuff is really great it's it's yeah. really elevated and and, and you know and you, you, when when someone embraces the fact that they love slashes generally they enjoy how fun they are they yeah. find you know like it's 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 these are fun movies they're not they're not you know they're they're, they're the kind of cliche thing of 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 you know uh, uh seeing at the drive-in you know it's the crappy kind of thing that you know your date movie that you can go and yeah it's, yeah it's whatever but you you kind of you know you bring your date there so they can they can hold you close when it when when the scares come but like for people who re-watch this stuff and have it be a kind of a part of their kind their, their top favorite films it's it's yeah the, at the core of it it is it it's iconic horror. It, yeah. it, it literally, like the slasher is all about iconography. It's about yeah. the weapon, it's about the mask, it's about the killer. Yes. Um, and, and even to a lesser, you know, for, for the, the kind of the lesser of the films, um, sorry, ignoring the lesser of the films, the higher ones are also about the the last girls, about the, the heroes who, who battle up against it. You know, you don't, yeah. It's it's yeah. You, you got your Michael and your Laurie's, your your, uh, your, your Freddies and and your uh, uh, your, your Nancys, your Nancys. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 for, for, for the great ones. Yeah, it's it's but it's it's all about that iconography, and I think yeah. that's the the sword that the bad ones die on. Yes, and I think it's the one. It's the one that. It's the element that if they really can nail iconography, that's the thing that just cements its place in history. Yeah, one hundred percent, one hundred percent agree with that. It's it's an interesting one as well because like even like uh, Pinhead has been labelled with as, as a slasher. I kind of argue that it's not right. <laughs> I I've always found that one an, an, an odd one to kind of label it as. Um, but you often see like these big lists of uh, iconic slasher. Um, villains and you know, if you'll always get Freddy, Jason and uh, Michael uh, are, are normally the top three, Leatherface often creeps in there, then, you, then I think you start 
losing ground a little bit as far as icons mm -hmm. because you start getting Chucky coming in here, Leprechaun, uh, and you know, Ghostface, uh, Hannibal, Ghostface Hannibal Lecter, Hannibal Lecter, yeah, that's right. With, so, with, with his mask that he wears for one scene, yeah, you know, they, that's they, right. They, yeah. It's a similar kind of thing that they slip him in. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, I mean, that's that's probably conversation for another day. But what I, what I think it feels like already in our early discussions here is that one of the questions we're going to be asking when we come to the end of this episode is where does the Prowler sit in that benchmark of this collective that we're talking about for the slasher genre? Um, and, and, and maybe weighing it up as a, as a film in itself. But I think ultimately that's where it's going to come down to is that question. One thing that we should probably touch on before we start the actual dissection of the narrative is something that struck me in watching this is a couple of known actors that fall into the mix, which are in the cast. We've got uh, Farley Granger, who is, uh, he plays the sheriff, Sheriff George Fraser character in this film. And he is uh, actually um, known for starring in two very prominent Alfred Hitchcock films. In 1948, he was in Rope, which was one of the early uh, Hollywood films that was he uh, that he was in, and, and it's known for being like I think it's something like yeah, six the one off, take, yeah, yeah, like these locked yes. off shots, right? He's in that. He's one of the main characters in it, right? But also, he is in Strangers on a Train, which was released in 1951, and he is our. Uh, borderline hero character in that movie there yeah so and stay tuned oh i had no idea yeah yeah, yeah. i know i, I was I, just I, I, it was yeah it was one of those things i was just recognize anyone in this no, no. film and and exactly strangers on the train one of my favorite Alfred yeah. hitchcock films and, and, and stay tuned because we will at uh, some time if not at the end of this month at uh, the beginning of next we have a podcast lined up for strangers on the train so listen out that one as well mm -hmm. because it's it was 60 years ago that it was released i want to say uh, off the top of my head, I may, I may be out by a decade, I can't remember off the top of my head, which is shocking because that's showing my, my mass. I think it's 70 years actually, 1951, yeah, 70 years ago that it was released. Uh, so we just did a little bit of, of a special nod to that one, so keep an eye ear out for that. The other actor I want to make a note of that also makes appearance is Lawrence Tierney, who plays Major Chatham in it. Lawrence Tierney uh, is uh, the big boss guy in Reservoir Dogs. Oh, uh, it's Big Big uh, Big Ed. Big Ed. Yeah. Uh, Joe. It's it's old big Joe, Joe. Sorry, uh, Joe. Uh, that Ed's the the son. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yes. Yeah. Lawrence Tierney. Yeah. And I just went, holy moly, that's insane. So I was kind of like afterwards, and it was one of those things I didn't, I don't think I really recognized them when I was watching the film. It was only when I was looking at it afterwards, kind of pulling some stuff together, I went, really? And when you look back at it, you go, god damn, yeah, that's right. It's pretty obvious that it is them. Yeah, so kind of cool, I thought. Mm. Okay, um, let's take a look at the, uh, the plot narrative and start dissecting this then. Let's let's go through the bits and pieces and see what unfolds. Uh, as I said, those that are familiar with this will know that Surgeon's team will go through the plot narrative, generally speaking, pull out the, bit, the iconic bits along the way, uh, maybe discuss a few things on that journey, and then come out the other side and we'll cast off our thoughts. So the very, very first thing we see at the beginning of this film is um, that it is, uh, we have a setting and it's at the end of the Second World War. 
we received the stock standard newsreel footage coming through uh, showing troops that are returning from Europe and they happen to be on board the Queen Mary. Fun fact for me, I've actually been on the Queen Mary. Uh, it's currently docked in uh, Los Angeles, on one of the, or it was when I went out there. It's just going back many moons ago now, like in the early 90s. I can't think I went over there. Um, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty impressive ship, um, and and allegedly haunted. Not that I saw any spectrals while I was there, uh, but yeah, very very cool. Um, so yes we see troops returning home and this is kind of setting the scene of, of the time and the period essentially there is a letter that we see that is dated march the 12th 1945 uh sent to um which is sent to sorry, a lover who was abroad um the woman is a lady called rosemary and she writes that she can no longer wait for her her lover who is uh, presumably, presumably one of these guys fighting abroad she tells him that uh, so much has happened and that perhaps they can be friends on his return uh, so a bit of a dear John letter essentially mm. um, on the evening of June 28th so this is now uh, a few months after the fact still the same year um, and I we see ourselves in a on a small seaside uh, town in New Jersey called uh, Avalon Bay and the townspeople are holding its graduation dance. We have GIs escorting their girlfriends to the ball and inside uh, we have the class of 1945 who are swinging to orchestra music. Uh, we meet Rosemary herself now, the, the uh, lady that wrote the, the letter, the Dear John letter, played by Jo, Joy Clackham, and she is there with her new boyfriend Roy, played by Timothy Warra. Uh, and the two decide to pretty much go off to what essentially is Lover's Lane. In this case, it's uh, like a drive to the lake where they spend uh, a bit of romantic time together in a gazebo. Um, and then all of a sudden, um, lights are strung up all on the gazebo. Uh, you know, they're completely bathed in light and uh, along this uh, wall bridge just along along the way too uh, we get this creepy music coming in and it looks like someone is approaching the couple uh, who then cuts the power the stranger is wearing full gom combat gear and carrying a pitchfork as we already uh, alluded to the uh, disguise or ensemble in this case and this is the first time we see it as Rosemary and Roy embrace, she looks up, sees the pitchfork over them, and then Rosemary screams as the stranger plunges it through the both of them. Uh, very uh, Friday the 13th, uh, kill this, this one. Um, and then leaves a long stemmed red rose in the dead woman's hand, and the revelers are oblivious back at the dance. And this is our first big opening kill. What do we make of this kind of big opening moment here? I, it, it, while I was watching it, it really, you know, the, the context was very kind of prevalent in my mind. And the big thing that I was kind of thinking about watching this, particularly when they're in the, the gazebo and they're kind of, uh, uh, kind of the, the guys kind of a little bit more um, uh, uh, kind of kind of hot around the collar. Uh, and the, the girl who I believe her father is the dean is kind of very much like, oh, you know, like, let's not let's not and he says oh what about christmas or whatever he brings up some prior time i very much had the uh the kind of sense memory of a horror scene within a movie like yeah. w when people go like it or 
the cliche of like you know the the horror movie that that a couple are watching inside of a movie where it's yeah, kind yeah, of you yeah. know it's the it's the couple in the in the in the convertible and you know it's 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 it, it feels that kind of level of copy of a copy from Friday the 13th where it is this kind of like like Friday the 13th has even more of like a like I, I would say a much more kind of naturalistic yeah. uh, vibe yeah uh, compared definitely. to what kind of comes after and, and this is one of those cases where you can kind of see uh, the Xerox uh, marks <laughs> a little yeah. bit yeah, uh, yeah. But it's, it's still kind of been its own thing I think the kills fine yeah it's yeah. one that we kind of see a lot more times yes you know like it's it's you know this is relatively early so i don't think i don't think uh i i don't think that, that there's harsh criticism for the movie for being just a rip-off because yeah. it, it's 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 early it, this is early in the slasher days so yes it, that's it, right i think it that's has right. a lip it has a bit more grace to it and i think um i get very excited that it's like 19 1945, like it's post-war. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. have no idea about this movie. I, for a second, am like, <laughs> is this a period picture? Like, is this whole thing set during this time? I am very disappointed that it is not. I think. No, that I know, be, I know. Huh. Oh, it's, I, it's, it, it feels expansive. It feels, it feels expansive and expensive. Yes, yes. Um, right. ha- having that, uh, that element there. Definitely, definitely, one hundred percent. Um, and I, f- I had the same reaction too. I was kind of like, oh, cool. Well, I didn't realize it was a period piece. I thought, oh, this might be kind of interesting setting in that time, time frame. Unfortunately, isn't the case, which we'll find out in a second. But the other reaction I had was when he laid the rose down, the red rose down at the scene. Unfortunately, I, I got taken out of the picture and I blame IT crowd for it because, there, <laughs> <laughs> because yes. Morris Moss says in one of those episodes, if you were a serial killer, what would you be? And I can't remember what uh, um, Roy says, but Morris's answer is, I would be the gardener. And after the, uh, at every crime scene, I would lay a red, uh, a rose at every scene. And I was just like, yeah, you just, <laughs> I'm thinking it's, wait, is it Morris Moss? <laughs> is it him behind it all? <laughs> so, it's the gardener, which, the which gardener. very well may be, um, which may have certainly been uh, uh, the groundskeeper. So yeah. there's there's kind of a lot being thrown at us. Yes. With the introduction of the killer. Yes. And a lot of questions that kind of come through. It's it's even though it's like it's army fatigues, it's gas mask and like helmet. Yeah. And and it's weirdly a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a there's a there's a big yeah. Uh, you don't quite know what to look at. No. And, and like, like the, the gardener thing too, because of the pitchfork and, and the flower, you kind of go, oh, right, yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay, so we then go to 35 years later um, as the town uh, prepares for its graduation dance once again. And again, this is probably similar to why people may get this confused with My Bloody Valentine, because that was all set around like a town dance and fun night kind of thing. The anniversary anniversary of of something that's happened before, yeah. Um, There hasn't been one of these graduation dances since the fateful night that we just bore witness to. We are witness to who will be, I should say, our central heroine figure, Pam McDonald, played by Vicky Dawson. And she stops in to see the sheriff, George Fraser, as I said before, the aforementioned Farley Granger. 
uh, who was in Strangers on the Train. And they discuss uh, the event that took part the poll. So it's still obviously prominent in the minds of townsfolk. The discussion then turns to the invalid Major Chatham, uh, who was played by Lawrence Tierney, as I mentioned. Uh, he is a fellow World War II veteran, um, uh, and basically his refusal to allow the annual celebrations after the two murders um, those years ago. Uh, Sheriff Fraser tells Pam that someone has robbed a store in a nearby town of Columbus and he uh, and has cut up a kid. Um, this is a bit of an offhand conversation, but because of that, the sheriff then takes off in his car um, to go and... He's going... Snake. No, he's actually going on his fishing trip. His annual oh. fishing trip. The, the oh, yeah, summer, right. I believe yeah. it's... The summer cannot begin... Uh, until he goes on his oh, fishing trip. So uh, sorry, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yes. Sorry, I, I, got, I was getting the two bits confused. That does happen. He does go off to do that. But yes, you're right. Uh, because in the next bit, the authorities are because of this incident has happened. The authorities are afraid that the, there is this killer who has killed this kid is heading towards Avalon. Um, despite that possibility and the, the the threat, the sheriff chooses that moment to go fishing on holiday, as you do. Uh, he he basically puts Mark London in charge. Now he uh, would be probably our alpha male kind of sort of hero in this uh, piece. Mm. Um, Christopher Galtman, or or it's led to believe he could be the hero. He's the love interest essentially of of our uh, lead character Pam. Um, I could he, not stop thinking yeah. of. Um, uh, from about the lead from uh, from Airplane. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Th throughout most of this movie, he had yes. very similar him and also the villain from The Mask, the guy Dorian from oh, The Mask. They, yeah, 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 yeah. Had really pronounced, like, kind of very sharp angular jaws. Yes, they do. Um, they do. And yeah, he's 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 our stand-in as our yeah our, our yeah he's, he's he's our he's a cop. He's a, you know he's yeah. he's been left in charge. He's, yeah. So, I mean, obviously there are, as is always the case, there are question marks sometimes about his character throughout this movie. So it's not, he's not always led to be um, potentially, yeah, like there are there are question marks about him, shall we say, throughout mm. the film. Um, well, so, he's, he's creeping on some of the girls. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so it's that kind of like... Making kind of little seedy comments. It's, yeah, he's not, he's not a white knight. No, he's not. He very, very much isn't. So he's our deputy in charge, and before uh, Sheriff Fraser takes off, he stops by a convenience store owned by Pat Kinsley, um, and one of the employees is a guy called Otto, a strange kind of slow fellow whom the sheriff seems to mistrust. So there's like this, uh, probably a stereotype of who you would look at as one of these kind of yokels who lives in the back of beyond in the woods somewhere, um, who's a bit kind of um, not, not quick off the mark, shall we say. Um, and yeah, the sheriff doesn't seem to trust him for some reason. Uh, but then he goes off on his fishing trip. Doesn't care. Pam and Mark, um, as we as kind of mentioned, have this a mutual attraction for one another and decide to go on a lunch date. Um, she shows him an article she wrote about the return of the graduation dance and tells Mark she's concerned about his safety. Um, showing concern about the fact that he's in charge uh, when there is this potential killer on the list. Pam also tells her roommate Sherry that she's also worried about this Columbus killer. 
Cherry uh, tries to calm her friend's nerves while the other girls in the dormitory are excitedly preparing for the dance. Uh, we see a girl called Lisa as well, uh, who even uh, <laughs> flashes Major Chapman, who's sitting in his wheelchair in the house across from them. Uh, as Pam is putting the finishing touches on her outfit, someone else is getting ready too. But this person is putting on a military combat uniform, complete with bayonet, hunting knife, and a sawn-off double-barreled 12-gauge shotgun. Uh, I quite like this bit, where you get the uh, image of the girls getting ready for their night out, whilst our killer is uh, also getting ready for what would be his night of rampage to begin. Well, it almost, it, it uh, absolutely, I think it is a moment of personality shining through for the film. Yeah. Is this, uh, I mean, you know, even in this kind of setup scene, uh, I kind of have very high hopes because uh, I'm, I'm surprised. I'm like, oh, wow, this is happening in a town. This is an, you know, isolated place. Yeah. Uh, uh, it, it, there, there's almost like, uh, you know, like the fog vibes where you're kind of meeting all of these different townspeople. There's a couple different locations that we've visited so far. Um, it uh, doesn't quite, uh, until we kind of go back to the, the dance hall when the, the, the dance kind of kicks off, uh, that's kind of where it kind of ends yes. in terms of like the expansiveness <laughs> of the film. But certainly in the beginning, it does have this um, promise uh, lived in. Yeah, it has a real promise, yeah, uh, yeah. a promise to it that, that I was quite excited by. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. I actually quite like this next next little scene as well that happens. Mm. Um, it, this to me was probably, uh, dare I say, the peak of the film. Um, so, uh, so I may as well get into it now. We we get the Sherry character that we've witnessed uh, before, introduced to her before. She gets into the shower uh, before Pam heads out, and she asks Sherry if she could wait. Sherry tells her to leave because she's actually waiting for her boyfriend, Carl, to arrive. Uh, Carl does show up and he surprises Sherry in the shower. So we get a little bit of kind of uh, full scare kind of moments coming at this point. Um, and hoping to have a little fun before they leave, he goes into the bedroom to undress. At which point an intruder comes in, grabs him from behind and plunges the bayonet through Carl's head until the other end comes out of his neck. Very brutal kill. Um, great. Yeah. Very strong. Like, great. Yes, it's very good. I mean, that's, and that's kind of guess what I was saying at the beginning. Like, the kills in this are yes. very effective and definitely have Savini's uh, trademark all over it. Um, and, and better. Like, so I, I, I yeah. think the kills are all whoop, like heads and tails above, uh, above Friday the 13th. And yeah. you're really watching him push. Kind of the elements that he's kind of touched on before, but he's just making it more visceral. It's, yeah. He's not someone who is stagnant. This is this is uh, this is a person who is really on the climb of his career. Absolutely, uh, where he's 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 kind of going up and up, and he just keeps raising the stakes with these. One one thing that's really interesting, I think, why this film resonates a little bit with Savini in particular, is Savini with his effects. He bore witness to the atrocities of the Vietnamese war and when he was starting to create the effects he was trying to go with realism with it which is effectively what was always his uh, key thing when he was exploring how to make these effects seem 
realistic uh, on screen. The film itself is uh, the uh, trauma from war and the effects that that has on the people, just not just who who is our killer, but everybody else in the town are clearly still affected by the effects of war. So it's almost like this is perfect uh, fuel for or the best playground for Savini to explore that his craft at the time. And I think this is evident in what we're seeing here. Um, so yes, we get uh, Carl kind of brutally killed with the bayonet. This tends to be the go-to choice of this killer's uh, um, weapon. Um, and uh, then uh, the force, though, uh, which I didn't say, is so great that the victim's eyes roll back into his head. Uh, and a really, yeah, really nice bit. Um, and then Sherry, at this point, she's still in the shower and she sees coming someone uh, through the curtain approaching. She just presumes it's Carl until uh, the killer who is wearing the military helmet with the gas mask covering his face pulls the curtain open in like a bit of a psycho kind of fashion. And uh, the curtain opens and he's holding the pitchfork. As Sherry screams, he lunges it under her breast. He then lifts her up as he sticks the pitchfork in, further killing her. And it's a really brutal, brutal kill, this one. Uh, it, the weapon of choice, again, the other weapon of choice, we saw the bayonet. This is his other go-to, the pitchfork. Um, but the fact that she is so vulnerable, I think, is why this is so brutally impacting when you watch this particular scene. Correct me if I'm wrong, but in terms of like shower scene, psycho, essentially a psycho, uh, a yeah. direct psycho riff. Um, yeah none's really coming to my head in terms of the last couple years of the, of the first kind of of wave and it, it, and this kill is really phenomenal i think yeah uh, uh, for this both of the scene in, in this scene when i was watching it i was really kind of viscerally affected i yeah yeah I, I was kind of thrown back i was like oh okay i see why this is a movie <laughs> i see why we're watching this movie yeah yeah this yeah is, this is great and brutal and and it kind of feels like that kill is the reason that he has a pitchfork at all in the yeah, film yeah, pretty much kind of like Okay, because it doesn't fit with military fatigue. It doesn't fit with like <laughs> no. the, like a war veteran or like anything like that. No, no, not and, at all. It's it a is, very old choice. It's it's a little bit of dissonance in terms of like weapon and yeah, bayonet makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bayonet, like if he's just gone around stabbing people with a bayonet, but yeah, but yeah, great yeah. first two kills of our modern setting. Yeah, definitely. Um, and great definitely. setting, the boarding house and and the whole thing of. Of, of, of you know, in terms of pacing, of everyone else has gone off. It's she's the straggler. It's yeah. It's it, it makes sense. It's all kind of tracking quite well along yeah. here. That's exactly right. Exactly right. And then we uh, then the next scene, we basically uh, cut to the party that's starting to unfold. We see Pat pick the pan. Uh, happy to see Mark as he arrives, but before she gets a chance to talk to him, Lisa pulls him away to dance, and Pam is there standing there with the cocktails, frustrated and annoyed. Um, when Mark comes over to talk to her, Lisa follows him, um, tipsy from the alcohol, she knocks into him and he spills some liquor on Pam's dress. Pam, even more furious at this point, um, at the way that the party's unfolding, for her at least, so she then heads back to the dorm to change her outfit. In a very eerie scene that follows next, Pam goes to her room and she hears the shower running and she thinks that Sherry is in the shower, she, so she politely closes the door unaware of, of the carnage that lays behind said door um and uh so yeah and the fact that Sherry, uh, sherry's dead and that the killer is actually still in the bathroom at the time too 
the room is dark enough that she still she doesn't actually see Carl's blood on the bed either. Um, so she changes and then leaves. Um, as she's going down the stairs, she hears something, and then Pam looks up at the top of the stairs, and that's where she sees the dark figure uh, of what looks like a GI wearing a gas mask. She naturally gets creeped out, and then <laughs> Q running through the dorm follows afterwards. Um, there's no one around at all at this point because obviously they're all at the party. Um, and uh, just as the killer comes near her, Pam is able to make it outside. At which point she knocks straight into Major Chatham in his wheelchair, who then grabs her arm. So there's this weird double moment as well where pursued by a killer and almost running into the hands of this kind of lecherous kind of guy in a wheelchair. Um, you know, the, the, the lesser of two evils, perhaps. Um, but she is able to kind of free herself and, and uh, get away from him as she then finds Mark. Um, and she tells her, him that someone has been chasing her and he takes his flashlight to do the heroic thing to go and search around the door. When he goes in, Mark doesn't find anything, but he does find wheelchair marks on the ground, which leads to the sidewalk. Uh, he returns to the car where Pam is waiting for him and she, he, she tells him to check the dorm because Sherry and Carl are still in there. Mark goes inside and towards the bathroom but the door is closed still and he doesn't see that there are two bodies in the tub. He doesn't bother to check the bathroom. Pam and Mark so go to Major Chatham's house, uh, the, the, the guy in the wheelchair. Uh, it's quite dark in there and the old man though is nowhere to be found. The killer is in the house at the time and he is watching them as they, uh, from an upstairs window. Uh, during their search, Pam finds this old scrapbook and she discovers that Chatham's dead daughter's middle name was Rosemary and she happens to be the girl killed 35 years ago. So we kind of start to get a bit of uh, the, the story from yesteryear unfolding. Uh, the two, as in Pam and Mark, then go back to the dance where they try to tell uh, Miss Allison, uh, I guess our chaperone for the evening, about the prowler that's on the campus. And the teacher tells the students that they should stay put and not go out until the person has been apprehended. Uh, the message, though, comes too late for our promiscuous Lisa. Angry uh, that her date, Paul, has been puking in the bathroom, she then goes to the pool for a late night swim, as you do. Um, after doing a few as you do in the, yeah. <laughs> in the middle in the middle of the dance, in the, in middle, the middle of the dance, the, in the middle the of the night, fling, the prom, or the, yeah, makes sense. It makes sense. Yeah, that's to me. That's to me. Let's. Oh, I'm just gonna go for a swim. Um, so she, so she does. Uh, takes a couple of laps, and after doing a few laps, she then ascends the stairs of the pool to go back to the party. At which point, the killer is standing above her, kicks her in the face, um, and shocked by the attack, Lisa tries to swim away in the pool, uh, but is unable to get her bearings. The killer then jumps into the pool, comes up from behind, and takes his bayonet. At which point, he slices her neck and her body falls lifelessly to the bottom of the pool. Now, those people that may have seen the poster for this and uh, or the front cover of uh, the DVD and stuff, this is the iconic image that they've chosen to use of this guy, uh, you know, the guy in the mask with the bayonet thing, and he's standing over the back and you see a woman kind of uh, semi-wet, kind of looking a bit helpless. Um, yeah, so this is like their poster image that we see. What do we make of this kill here? 
Uh, I mean, I was shocked by the kick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the kick to the face. It was, was it? Yeah, it was. It was, br- it was pretty like brutal in a non-slashery way. It was <laughs> yeah. this kind of like, yeah. oh, uh, up to, uh, okay, okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was surprised that you know that we had him jumping in in all of his gear. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was it was very much a. Um, I mean. I, Pretty fun. I mean, I, I must say that the the whole uh, dorm chase and the the old mansion kind of exploration bored me. Yeah, so severe. It, it did. It did um, me too. Uh, hence why I kind of glossed through that quite quickly because I yeah. I, this is where I, like you just had this great moment, and then it's like they just pulled you so down deep into nothingness that um I was just yeah I was like ah. Oh. And I felt like and this it was, feels yeah cheap. Yeah, it, it, does. Feel, it starts yeah. feeling very cheap when it's just her running through these hallways. It it almost feels like student filmish. It feels yeah. kind of amateurish, kind of where where kind of this chase is happening, where she's just running through all of these identical uh, halls. And the, the yeah, it's just a, a case where I'm like, yeah, this we've just had this phenomenal, like real, yeah, genuinely phenomenal scene. Yeah. Um, really great kind of uh, uh, slasher moment here and and then, and then yeah just kind of like it, it's really drawn out it, it feels like it's padded for time it's, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's obviously trying to go for atmospheric but it just doesn't feel like it has enough meat on the bones to, to no. really make you to make the journey and the weight worthwhile yeah uh, but the, the, the pool not bad not it's bad. it's quick. I think the kick. I think the kick kind of made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. um, I thought it was like quite funny. Um, uh, and yeah, it's it's it, it's brief. Yeah, it's, it's, it, it the, is. The, brief, the yeah. film has odd odd uh, has odd pacing because you have like standstill moments, uh, but like this the killing like the set pieces are. Uh, generally way better way better it's like they wake you up a bit it's almost like watching uh, and I forget the composer's name but there was a composer who was very famous for kind of having these kind of real long waited out kind of tranquil kind of moments and all of a sudden he would throw a cymbal clash in there just to wake people up in the audience (laughs) Um, uh, just for fun it's almost like that and that's what we get with these kill moments uh, the other thing that I was <laughs> it just struck me just as we're talking too. Have you seen the uh, sequel to The Strangers at all? No, I haven't. There's there's a moment in that without being too spoilerific, where it is set in a pool. There's a moment in a pool, mm. and I and it just struck me as like it's one of those moments that uh, I, so I actually quite dug the film. Um, it's cheese on toast to the nth degree, but there's a moment in in that with the pool sequence in, in particular that kind of sits nicely with me um, and I just like the way it unfolded and I feel like the reason I'm mentioning it is I feel like that's how you do a, a full scene in a slasher type film without trying to be too spoilerific as I said uh, okay so back to the movie then we we get the Paul character who was uh, Lisa's partner who wants to leave the dance and find Lita, but the teachers won't let him. He's so drunk and rowdy that he gets thrown out anyway. Uh, and Mark and Pam take him to the police station house where Mark puts him in the jail cell. Uh, meanwhile, we get Mr. Kingsley, who is organizing an armed posse of several men to search the neighborhood for, for the prowler. 
and we have Otto, uh, our character, given a rifle and invited to come along with him. So Otto, the, the very slow kind of character. Yes, he's our uh, like Lenny uh, of my Lenny and was very much the vibe. Yeah, yes. very much. So. Big, very big, much so. big, big, simple fella. Where, yeah. that, where you're like, oh. yeah, definitely feels like a, a riff on that. Yes, on that, definitely uh, much. Archetype. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Yes, and we get when Mr. Kinsey informs Mark that he heard a report that the local cemetery has been desecrated. Mark and Pam then head out to see what's happened. When they get there, they find Rosemary Chatham's grave all dug up. They open the coffin, and that's where they find Lisa's body in it. So, and there's proving that the killer is definitely around. Uh, meanwhile, Miss Allison, the teacher, has left to see if she can find Lisa, and, and this is where she sees blood in the pool panics she tries to run away and the killer grabs her and thrusts the bayonet into her neck so another neck dispatch kill with the bayonet uh mark tries to reach at this point he's realizing that shit's going crazy in this town he tries to reach the sheriff at the lodge he's staying at but he can't get in touch with him when uh, the overweight and lazy front desk clerk <laughs> refuses to place a call to his cabin claiming that the sheriff is not there before heading back to my yeah this scene here like i feel like because it it, it is <laughs> i kind of couldn't quite wrap my head around it and i really enjoy it because it plays out in real time mm-hmm. and i feel like i'm I, part of my mind is like are they play like is was was the slowness of the earlier scenes like Deliberate, like because, <laughs> yeah, because yeah. they're almost they're almost doing it here, but they're, they're you know it's it's him like like not moving from his chair. He closes the thing and there's you know he's tapping his pan like just oh yeah I'll go check on it and then just stays there and just waits a long amount of time. <laughs> as we cut back, cut back to the cop, the back and forth as he's like tensely waiting uh, uh, as this situation is is developing. Um, and it's just this like it's it, it what it feels like. It feels like a it feels like a scene that we would have in a modern horror film, like yeah. a Get Out or a, uh, a, a the, the Halloween, the yeah. recent Halloween film, where where it's almost this like straight up comedy scene, yeah, uh, with this almost straight up comedic character yes. is completely unrelated to the rest of the plot, and they yeah. just get to have a scene where they <laughs> they don't know they're in a horror movie, yeah, and he's just kind of <laughs> taking his time, yeah, definitely. I, I think they're trying to, because obviously we've just before that we've had another kill as well. So it's it's meant to be one of these kind of, all right, we're going to have a downbeat moment and just kind of play it. And they may, it may even have been like, um, I'm, I'm evidently making this up, but it may have been a case of like where they've gone, well, we, we kind of need something here for, to kind of, we can't just keep going kill, kill, kill. What are we going to do? Mm. Let's have this moment here just to kind of break the rhythm up a bit. Um, and, and yeah. also, he doesn't need. We don't need this uh, a cabin set, so it's also no. an element of of, of cheapness. But I, I yes. think it really works. It works in its favour. It does. Um, yeah. You just, you know, they could have filmed that in any of the other places that we've already been. It's just, yeah. you know, just it's a locked off shot of this of this, you know, this desk clerk who just cannot be uh, cannot be stuffed with this guy. Yeah, <laughs> definitely, definitely, one hundred percent. Okay, so uh, so no, with no luck in trying to get through to the sheriff, uh, Mark tries to then, uh, well, he wants to go back to Ma- Major Chatham's house. He tries to drop Pam off at the dance, but she refuses. 
and they see a song going with him. Uh, when they get to the house, though, Mark leaves her for a moment, at which point she's knocked unconscious by the killer who's still around. Uh, Pam manages to see this necklace dangling from inside the fireplace and she tries to pull it out. Uh, she's still in her graduation dance dress and uh, at which point Rosemary's skeleton then falls out of the chimney. Um, and Pam tries to find Mark but is confronted by the killer again. She runs through the house trying to get away and hides under a bed. And this madman kind of killer is now in the same room as her. And Pam makes every attempt to be still, even as a rat comes near her um, in true comic fashion. Uh, finally, Pam gets up and runs out of the room. She manages to get the pitchfork away from the killer and hold it up for protection as he comes near her. Um, but it kind of feels like she's a bit out, out, uh, out, out muscled at this point. It does feel like she's kind of be gonna not maybe pull through unless something drastic happens. And it does, because at this point, Otto comes in, uh, so the clerk uh, from Kinsley's convenience store, enters the room and shoots the Prowler with his hunting rifle. And we think, oh, okay, we've just had like uh, um, an unknown kind of hero kind of come yeah, in. a little to, to do deal with it. Yeah. He's, he's got yeah. the hand of God is coming. <laughs> exactly, that's right. But unfortunately, the Prowler himself is still alive and kicking at this point. And he uh, basically turns the, uh, he's got a his shotgun on him. That's right, because we already aware that he had the shotgun. And he shoots Otto in the chest, who falls down dead. The killer then tries to reload the shotgun to shoot Pan. Um, but she then stabs the Prowler in the back and the pitch, uh, with the pitchfork. And they struggle for the shotgun. Uh, the wounded murderer pulls his mask off, at which point we realize we reveal who the killer is and Pam is horrified to see who it is because it's none other than dun, 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 Sheriff Fraser all along. He would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for those pesky kids. Uh, Pam gets the upper hand, points the shotgun at his head. Uh, there's a big kind of tussle point here too. Like it's not just like an easy kind of fight, but she does manage mm. to get, get the shotgun under his head, fires in his head. While she's, she's asking why, yeah, she she yeah. much like much like myself in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, of asking, wait, why, why, yeah. <laughs> why, why, and why, why? Uh, uh, and then we get a, uh, a head explosion. Uh, we get a gun head goes explosion. Off, it's the head. Yeah. Uh, 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 absolute uh, absolute goop. Shocking. Um, uh, shocking. It's a shocking <laughs> moment because it is. Uh, when he gets shot by the hunting rifle, there is a lot of blood that yeah. splatters on the wall. And it is this case of, of, of it falls down dead and you're like, okay, like, uh, maybe, maybe this is like, maybe there's more than one. Maybe this, maybe this guy isn't a savior. Like, like yeah, yeah. my brain, your brain starts ticking over because you're like, that is very violent. That's a very, yes. that's a lot of blood. He's, assume he's at least out of the fight. So when he comes back up, and he, then he also gets stabbed, and then he's also still really putting up a fight with the reloading of the the, the shotgun. It's it is this kind of thing of like, what is happening? What is why <laughs> is he like possessed by the many souls of, of dead veterans? Is he is yeah. he like is he supernaturally is he supernaturally driven? It's it's this thing where uh, where when it comes to other beings like. 
like Michael or Jason or, or you know, who, like whoever it might be, there is, even though, uh, say, Michael Myers isn't, and isn't supernatural in that first movie still feels like this presence yeah. and so and the, the wounds are never bad enough it, it, it rides the line yes where you're like what like he keeps on getting up well, who is this person whereas this this is a character that we've had a scene with this is a character that we know a little bit about and you're yeah. like oh this is like the sheriff this is a regular yeah. person so for him to get shot and then stabbed and, and still be up and moving uh, and not really have clear motivation. I mean, no. So why why did he do this? I, I actually don't know. I don't know. It's never. <laughs> we never know. It's like what? <laughs> it's it's never it's never uh, it's never drawn out and explained. Maybe that's part of its beauty. Maybe it just infuriates. Um, yeah, it's it's an odd one, isn't it? We just never we never get told his reason behind it because it's not like is he related to the original character like it was 35 years ago right so like where mm-hmm. does where does that relationship of the original kill happen i found that really odd um because mm. we never really explained because the next moment like the next that our kind of epilogue scene if, if you will is the next morning and we get pam basically returning to the dorm um of where she then goes into the bathroom in her bedroom, opens the shower door. Again, could be a bit of a comical moment, this too. Um, and the shower's still running, and this is where Sherry's body is still on the floor of the tub, and Carl is hanging from the shower head by his, his tie. And suddenly, Carl, his corpse, reaches out to grab her, she screams, and the screen cuts to black. Um, and that's the end of the movie. I even have question marks over that. <laughs> well, uh, is is it a case well, of like, we, yeah, go on. we do get there is there is half a beat there because we see he's got the white eyes, he's got the, yeah. he's reaching out, but then we do there is just one shot after where where she kind of calms down and you see it and his eyes are normal and he's just back yeah. down. Yeah. So I think it is it is uh, almost this head sort of thing. It, this in yeah. her head kind of thing. It's it's yeah. it's it's. it's kind of a little bit more explained as our Friday the 13th Jason jumping out of the water at the end uh, whereas that's kind of a little bit more like dreamlike whereas this is very much like no she's just I, I guess it's her you know it's her very recent trauma you know yeah, kind of yeah, yeah. popping up like it's 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 a it's a jump scare uh, in the mind but it is it is a funny note to to end on it is Yes. Yeah, because it's not—it's it's not fun. like yeah, it's not your typical kind of like twee ending where we see her with like the uh, Mark, you know, Mark, presumably Mark character that you would expect mm. uh, because they've survived their ordeal. It's her on her own again, and maybe it is meant to be this uh, commentary about the fact that trauma has this ripple effect and it will still keep keep going. You know, like she's mm. now she's now permanently scarred by the ordeals that um, have have unfolded uh, and is it meant to be like I said a commentary on the fact that war will always we will always get wars of some kind and because of that we will always get trauma following it from various means I don't know I could be just making all that up just to try and make sense yeah, it, well it's yeah. it, 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 it is an interesting layer and it's, and it's the point that I marked down earlier which is uh, which is I mean, we're at the end here, and it, it, it is this case where uh, 
it's a shame that war as a concept isn't used better or used yes. more deeply yes. because all of these elements are here like like uh, you know some of them are just the the tips of the iceberg i mean tom savini's his, his own experience kind of coming through the fact that this is not that long after the vietnam war it's you know yeah. we've got veterans who are working on it you know yeah, um, right. and the that's fact right. that vietnam isn't is like that would be an interesting element to bring it in to bring vietnam in the, this whole thing of like hey there's you know there's the trauma of this what happened after the second world war and and we've only recently you know had a war here maybe you know you throw yeah. in like a viet like a like a veteran character yeah. um and, and and make that this kind of uh, uh, this kind of more present element, but it doesn't really—it's not really interested in doing that. It, it, no. It's it's which is which is fine. It's allowed to be kind of a, a cheapy hack, you know, slasher hack and slash. Um, but it is this thing where it's like maybe there would have been maybe you know like uh, um, if you were to say get if John Carpenter was to have taken this, yeah, then then I think you you absolutely would have gotten an elevated yeah uh, an elevated piece. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because like it's it's almost like like you said, the ingredients are there, but there's not enough substance to kind of really uh, provide to in, enough depth to what they were trying to pull across. And and I guess that's what I meant by at the very beginning is like if it wasn't for the Tom Savini effects that were thrown in this, you would probably start questioning what kind of movie it was. Um, and it feels a bit mediocre uh, and uh, a little bit run of the mill as a result. It doesn't really kind of hit you um, in the way that I was hoping it would, and particularly from what I heard about it. And as I said beforehand, and, and knowing it had a bit of a, a cult appeal or a cult status around it, uh, I kind of did come out a little bit overwhelmed, um, underwhelmed, sorry. And the but interestingly, I didn't mention the director. So Joseph Zito is the guy that directed this. His I next was just looking, yeah, yeah his just next looking feature, at that, right? That yeah, yeah. So his next feature, which was a couple of years later, was Friday the Thirteenth: The Final Chapter. Um, so he would then return to, and that's the one that's famous for Corey Feldman and Crispin Glover's dance moves um, <laughs> in there. So, um, so he would come back to like the franchise, and and that's the one Savini comes back into the fold too to do his work. So they, you know, obviously makes sense that they work together. I want to also say I don't want to be remiss, but he would also direct Red Scorpion, which was the 1988 Dolph Lundgren action flick uh, as well, which I <laughs> I have strong memories from when I was a kid watching that one. Um, but yeah, so a big '80s. It's it's yeah. interesting that he kind of really only does one other horror film, and then really leans into the kind of uh, uh, action. Uh, yeah. uh, just kind of, you know, there's a couple of Chuck Norris films in there, Dolph Lundgren. Yeah, Delta Force One, like all Delta of these. Yeah, that's right. Kind of that's right. <laughs> such like action schlock. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And then he kind of uh, fades off a little bit after that. Um, but yeah, I just the, obviously the big one was the, the fact that he would come in and, and pave the way for Friday the Thirteenth, and it would be the first uh, Friday the Thirteenth. So a lot, there's a lot to be said for um, Steve Miner with Friday the Thirteenth because he helmed both Friday the Thirteenth parts two and three. So it would be the and, and shape 
what we know of the franchise and what who Jason is. So it'll be the first director who will then come in and then take it into a new direction would be this guy. Mm. So, yeah. A, a new direction, uh, one of the first uh, final Friday the 13th movies as well. <laughs> it yeah. being the final chapter. This, the this final <laughs> chapter, that's right. Put, putting a core, putting putting a, a tie on the end of that series that we never got another entry in ever again. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And there it was, and there it was laid to rest, and yeah, such is the way. It wasn't I uh, wasn't uh, uh, resurrected by uh, lightning. No, uh, no, <laughs> no. That's right. That's right. Okay, so um, let's try and round up our thoughts then, and and, and the podcast episode on the Prowler. So I kind of said early on. Uh, in the episode that I feel like we'll end up asking the question um, I always ask the question about where it stands today and do you think it still stands up Um, and would you recommend it to a modern going audience so but let's look at the first part of that question about does it stand up but let's also throw into the equation as I said of in line with the slasher genre films yeah because like we said, it's this was 1981 was the big year for slasher being kind of carved and and mm-hmm. becoming a subgenre in its own right with a lot of weight behind it. So let's look at that first. Where, where do you think the Prowler sits in this uh, collective, as it were? I think uh, if we were to go with the uh, letter grading, I would say like a C plus. Yeah, yeah. In terms of of where it kind of sits, it, it, yeah. it it's a it's certainly a pass. It's not a failure. It has you know some good yeah. points. It has it has uh, some elements that you know could use more um, detail. Yes. Um, but certainly yes. the 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 kills the kills are, are pretty. Uh, I would say for the most part are pretty great. Yeah, yeah um, agreed. Are pretty good and fun and visceral and weighty um there's there yeah there's a lot of interesting elements of it but uh i think it it just falls down because it's really not that clear of a movie no uh it doesn't it doesn't you know it it is this kind of forgotten thing that kind of savini is really the only reason that uh that it it's kind of stood it's it's managed to stand or hobble uh, the test of time (laughs) yeah um I guess but that's yeah, I, a, I guess that's probably what yeah. then lends easily then into asking the second question of like recommending it to a modern cinema going audience. So where where do you sit with that? Because I I don't want to put words into your mouth, but is it the fact that if you are a Savini lover, you should, or if you're aware of Savini's other work, this is the reason to go and watch this film? A hundred percent. I think I think there is. Uh, uh, I, I couldn't imagine someone watching it because they're a slasher completist i think that i think that is a niche far too small <laughs> um and that even even lovers of the slasher uh, genre don't uh, don't subject themselves to that because it, it, it's it's truly a a a, a a a task worthy of sisyphus like pushing that boulder up it's just that's too much whereas if you <laughs> right. really like savini you're an if you've watched if you've watched you know you've you've learned about him you've you've been like oh you've found out kind of what a juggernaut he is yeah uh then i think absolutely this is one to go and visit but as a general audience member i don't think so i don't think there no. is i don't think there's I, there's not enough here 
even for like you know we'll chuck on a, you know chuck it on and have a few beers with a few friends it, it still doesn't even have yeah because it's really not enough got kind that of ridiculous kind of, enough yeah yeah exactly it's not yeah. enough there's not enough there to grip you is there it's like i i i used to really love doing that actually and it's probably like the, the sad cinephile that i am but whenever i had a guest over i would often throw a movie on in the background and um, even just it's it it's sometimes serves as an alternative to music or or, or uh, sometimes not. Sometimes I'd have it just as a visual kind of thing with music over the top of it, that just to kind of have something there in the background. But there isn't anything like that that kind of really would make you kind of watch elements of it. You know, you could even I could even oh, dare I say I could probably say you're probably I'm sure there's something out there that exists, but you're probably better off looking on YouTube and going kill scenes of the Prowler, and you would pretty much get just as much worth from it you know um it'd be a good su- yeah. it, it, it's got some great scenes for a super cut yeah uh, exactly, together yeah. yeah but way but, way too much fat way yeah. <laughs> not enough meat no no 100 I'm, I'm with you on that and i think uh what was i going to say there too the the other component probably that i it's one of those movies that I wouldn't mind seeing it being re-looked at and remade because mm. I think there's there is still something there, and I think if you could play with that, maybe even jump it to a bit more of a modern, like uh, you know, like a bit like how uh, was it? Which one was the one that did a uh, time time jump? Um, I forget now. My mind's gone blank. But very uh, one of those famous kind of horror films decided to take it and move it to a modern day setting. Uh, anyway, it's it's evaded me now. <laughs> Um, uh, oh, I don't know, maybe we'll, anyway, it's right. I've forgotten all about it. It's okay, it's been done anyway. But I think that may actually serve well. But if you keep the war kind of yeah. uh, context element of it, maybe you even have like the you know, the all the effects of them. You could have a bit of a commentary around the Middle East, and that might be a bit too political. But it could be interesting to see something playing around with that. I don't know, I, I feel like there's enough there to. Which said something about yeah. what they were trying to achieve. Yes. Right? Yeah. And and, and so, I think it's why it's not a failure. I think yeah. it, it does have it, it does have enough interesting elements because it's not I, it's not a bad movie. No, this isn't not, like yeah, yeah. this isn't schlo- this isn't like just kind of cheap schlock. It's just no. kind of almost counterfeit Carpenter. It's, yeah, it's, yeah. It is. It's it's kind of too. And, and it's why the context of where it sits is interesting is because yeah. it's it, it's so close on the tail of that initial run is that they haven't quite figured out what the machine of the slasher is yeah. going to be for the decade yes um and and it may have it may have more watch value if it had been a little bit later on but it, yeah. yeah it just shies out of, of of it's yeah it's just kind of it's trapped between two uh two kind of distinct uh inspirations there that, that yes. yeah but i i think it is something that would be kind of great really great for a uh, uh, great for a remake. It, whether it was a, a modern update or whether it was a thing of it, let's just make it World War Two. It's a World War Two yeah, yeah, World War Two slasher, and we we'll never leave called. that space. No, no, that, that, this idea of yeah. the Prowler, a peeping Tom. It is. It is almost yeah. this a real quaint yes. uh, uh, kind of terminology for like uh, for, for for something that would that would already kind of have a lot more kind of heinous connotations in today's yeah. culture. Yeah. Uh, whereas like. You know, you throw it back to a, to an earlier time. I mean, I've I've never seen a nineteen a late nineteen forties slasher movie. I think that's yeah. I think that's really interesting. I think that yeah. that's something that already makes me 
really kind of like it's 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 something that yeah i think i think there's i think there's it's got fertile ground but just yeah yeah not a great harvest <laughs> <laughs> nice nice and i think i completely concur with you on that i think i think that's right on the money and it would be interesting so maybe if anyone's listening out there maybe we can uh, tease you a little bit and maybe explore the idea of a 1940s serial killer kind of mashup of some kind it would be interesting to hear and see until then i think we should probably bow out on this podcast episode uh, we hope you've enjoyed our discussions on the prowler let us know what you think do you think that oscar and i are barking up the wrong tree and that this particular film deserves its mantle in the slasher genre um area or not um because we kind of we're kind of saying like we're not dissing the film i think we've gone out and out and said that it's not it's not a bad movie we do want to stress that we just don't think it's quite on par with other movies obviously so let us know what you think do you think you disagree with that or do you agree with that we'd love to hear from you hit us up on our usual social posts uh platforms on facebook twitter or instagram uh and uh, yeah hit us up let us know what you think of this film um and because always willing to hear other perspectives until then i'm your host son Werte, and i'd like to once again extend my thanks to my co-host for this episode oscar jack thank you for coming aboard pleasure as always so okay until next time uh keep watching out for some of our future podcasts and let us know any other films that you wouldn't mind us having a bit of a chat around because we're always open for other discussions uh, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Son Goodbye. You've been listening to a Surgeons of Horror podcast. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.